Like that would have been so much so much better if it was like New Year's Eve, right? <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you're getting good at the intros, man. Thank you. Yeah, you're getting pretty good at these. Um I have we have tonight, we have two of my favorite people. So you guys are my my go-to news sources. And I actually heard Kennedy mention Matt on an episode a few weeks back. It was like late November. Uh Kennedy had done something and he was reading something that uh, a, a story from Catholic family news. And I was like, I want to get Kennedy and Mac Aspers on together to do a 2022 year in review. And we planned this show for like December 21st originally. And if we had done that, we would have missed the biggest story of 2022, which was yeah. Benedict passing. So I'm almost glad that it got pushed off. Um, before we even get into anything, um, Please hit like, subscribe, everybody. You know, the usual stuff. Um, Rob, am I forgetting anything? Oh, we're doing a chosen review tomorrow, so guys, check that out. But other than that, um, before we even get into anything, the the Benedict story has kind of changed everything, right? So Matt has a whole bunch of stories that he's going to go over, and we're going to we're going to go over some of the things from 2022. And before we even went on, we were in the green room, and uh, Matt brought up the Freedom Convoy, and I'm like. Holy cow, I forgot that was even 2022. Yeah. But um, real quick, there was a Rod Dreher article that I sent Kennedy this morning. And I said, I just wanted to touch base on this. And then Kennedy went and did a whole show on the article. <laughs> and he just... It was a good the article thing is, between... Take. All right, look, people don't realize. Me and Kennedy text a lot, right? And our texts are either like something so offensive that we'll both get canceled if anybody ever saw it. Or Kennedy sends me pictures of macaroni and cheese and tells me it's spaghetti and meatballs. And I'm like, <laughs> Kennedy, what are you sending me? <laughs> That's <right>. Obviously a joke. <laughs> so, yeah. So, no. So, this uh, Rod Dreher. Oh, you know what? If anybody doesn't know who these guys are, I mean, I can't imagine anybody watching us doesn't know who Matt Gaspers and Kennedy Hall are. Matt Gaspers is. The thousands um, watching right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Gass Matt, you're the uh, the editor at uh, Catholic Family News. My title is managing editor. So Brian McCall is the editor in chief. He's above me. So, and Kennedy, I'm you write for LifeSite. You have the Kennedy Report. You have a million things. Kennedy's probably like the the guy with more jobs than anybody I know. So he's the voice of this book. Yes. Apocalypse yeah. Christ yeah, and yeah, Apocalypse. That's true. Yep. Kennedy, how did you just... get in? How did you get into doing audiobooks? Um, Father Murr, Father Charles Murr. Um, he was, actually, I should back up even further. Um, Mike Church. So he wanted me to do the radio show, which I loved doing on the Crusade channel. Mm -hmm. um, just um, when my wife got pregnant, she got very ill, not like disease ill, but uh, morning sickness. It's like she has it 24 hours a day for nine months when she's pregnant. And it was, mm -hmm. I needed to take less professional uh, obligations in order to help. And the radio show, I just couldn't make it work. So I had to stop and then uh, just had to move on from that. But I, I spent six months or so on the radio getting used to audio stuff. Father Murr, uh, who wrote Murder in the 33rd Degree, uh, has a very interesting story. He um, had watched me on the Fatima Center, the Kennedy Report show over there. And uh, he just said, I want you to narrate my book. He, uh, he knew I spoke different languages and I could do accents because of my Italian family and, and French and stuff like that. So he said he wanted me to do it. So he said, can you do it? And I said, well, as long as I have YouTube, I can figure about anything out. Um, <laughs> So I had the equipment because the radio show, I had a nice microphone and an audio interface and mixer and all that sort of stuff. And then I just learned how to use software from uh, YouTube and Father Murr was gracious and was just like, I just want it done. So I just, I had as long as I needed, it took me three months or something to do something that would probably take me three weeks now. Mm -hmm. And then I told Marshall, I was texting with Marshall and I said, you know, I do audiobooks now. He, re he listened to it and he said, you want to do mine? So then I did uh, Antichrist and now... Uh, I'm doing the Sword and Serpent trilogy. 
Oh, that's um, awesome. Oh, nice. Get so out of here. That's great. I, it is. And I have, there's in it, you'll have English accents, Scottish accents, Irish accents, uh, nice. various Latin types, girls as well. Um, and uh, I just finished the first one. I just, we just submitted it. It should be ready to buy in a couple weeks. And um, then I'm working on the second one. So that should be out by Easter. And then I'm hoping the third one will be out by Pentecost. They're about 500 page books. They're pretty big. So now it's a big thing. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, be doing a lot more audio projects coming up. So real quick, I gotta, I gotta address this comment because the way I actually started interacting with Kennedy was I made a comment about Kennedy having like the nicest radio voice I'd ever heard. Like Casey, Casey. So actually it's all, it's all Anthony's doing. I said, uh, I said something along the lines of like, yeah, his face is not pleasant to look at, but he's got like a really nice radio voice. (laughs) But both of you guys have been like really gracious to me. I mean, Matt, I, I, I think you were the first, um, like notable Catholic that I ever had like an actual friendship with, like me and you would message each other on the side. Like I, I, you were the first one to ever like treat me. You created a fan account with my long hair. I did. I had the Casper's fan account. (laughs) Then I started like this weird fake drama between you and Tim Flanders and everybody Mm -hmm. thought it was real. And it was, (laughs) but that, that whole thing. Hey, what's up, Mike? (laughs) So I had, um, I had, uh, yeah, I wanted to get you and Tim Flanders on together. So I, uh, I, I just kept like playing up this stupid thing, but both of you guys have been super gracious to me. I mean, Kennedy's been on the show, Matt, you've been on the show. I just wanted to say thank you to both of you for that. But, um, the, all right. So Rod Dreer's article really, uh, so Rod is now Eastern Orthodox, if I'm correct, right? Like Rod, Rod yeah. left the church. I think he got like a Russian to be a specifically Russian Orthodox. So, yeah. But he still has his foot half in Catholic, you know, uh, Catholic goings on. Put it very mildly, yes. (laughs) Yeah, he can't help but keep his faith. Like, he doesn't, but he also doesn't push. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, the Catholic uh, talking head world is a a business, right? So, I mean, he Mm -hmm. still wants to have his foot in it. But so he writes this, this, he writes, he wrote a whole article. It's worth reading. But there was one specific paragraph that I thought was interesting. He said, it's very easy to understand the anger of Catholics suffering under Francis's papacy. If I were still Catholic, I would likely share it. But I wonder if Benedict understood something about his mission that the rest of us don't. I heard a priest friend this morning I heard from a priest friend this morning a theory that Benedict's mission was to suffer on behalf of the faith, to suffer from church, that Benedict, not John Paul II, is the Pope of the Third Secret of Fatima, that somehow, in his renunciation and subsequent humiliation and abuse, Ratzinger played a mystical role in the drama of salvation, especially as that drama reaches a crescendo with the approaching great apostasy of the West. Now, Dreer goes on to say actually what's happening, but it's an interesting theory. Now, I had always thought that the bishop in white, who we thought was the Pope, like that line had always struck me as like, okay, why is Benedict still around? Why is he still like, I always thought there was going to be some kind of wild thing happen in Rome and Benedict was going to play some kind of a role in it. And uh, Kennedy, even on your show today that you did, you had said, like, if you really read The Third Secret of Fatima, there's many different ways you can interpret that, right? There's a spiritual interpretation that if you're talking about arrows and things like that, these could be spiritual arrows that are coming down. And I still think there's something about that bishop in white that I thought was the Pope, that we thought this was the Pope, that somehow that might be Benedict. Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Well, from that book that I... that that. um why don't you hold that book up again, Matt? The uh, Taylor Marshall's book. We can oh, give yeah. a plug. Um, well, you know, one of the great things you learn about reading a commentary on a book such as the Apocalypse or Revelations is that uh, prophecy is is often largely or majority metaphorical. Uh, that's not to say that metaphors aren't true, or that's not to say that what it's saying isn't true. It's just to say it is what it is, you know? So for example, we read about the end times and the war to come and Gog and Magog coming down from the North and things like that. Um, it's totally reasonable to uh, understand those things as events that will come in the future, but because of the changes of the, the machines of war and things like that, the war might look different or the war might not be the same type of war that you would think it would be, but it's still a war nonetheless. Anyway, none of that's to say that it can't be the way that it's written. 
but it's to say we're not necessarily bound to it being in the exact manner. So when we look at Fatima with the arrows and stuff, I immediately think of what St. Paul says when he talks about the darts and the arrows, depending on the translation, which, you know, you get out with the certain knife, you know, there's, there's all this typology there and it's sin, you know? So I, the, the, the Pope being shot by arrows and guns and things, again, I'm not saying it couldn't happen with an actual like bow and arrow and AKs going off in Rome. I mean, who's to say, um, but it also could represent a great suffering in the church and the Pope himself is, is in the midst of an incredible scandal and the darts and the arrows from the world. Who knows? Anyway. So, but the part that is fascinating is that little line there where sister Lucy says, you know, the Bishop in white, um, you know, basically we, we had the impression it was the Pope and then goes on to talk about the Holy father could just be a turn of phrase. Could be one of those things where you go, oh no, sister Lucy knew what was going to happen with this time. And it has exactly to do with this. We have this man who's in white and we have the impression that he's the Pope. But then there's this man who's called the Holy Father, and they say he is. I mean, it could be these things. I just think it's fascinating, you know, whatever the truth may be. Yeah. Matt, you have, you have any thoughts on it? Sure. I was just going to pull up the message of Fatima document from the uh, on the Vatican website because I wanted to refresh my memory. Uh, let's see here. About the the third secret vision. Yeah. Because there's some strange – I mean, in the, the version that they – published in what was that the year 2000 or something right yeah i think it was 2000 um there's, there's some strange punctuation yes and so we don't know if, if it's like a paraphrase we don't know if it's was like a partial quote or a paraphrase where it talks about the holy father let me see if i can find that here yeah so like if you the thing about prophecy is you don't know it's fulfilled until it's fulfilled. That's like you right, can't right. like, that's the thing about prophecy is you don't get it until it passes. Right. So like, even when you read the old Testament scriptures and they talk about all the events of the Messiah coming, you don't see them fulfilled until after Christ comes. So uh, Matt, do you have it? I do. Yeah. I mean, it's not a, it's, it's hard to describe without showing it on the screen, but there is some, there are some quote marks like, so it says, and we saw, this is supposed to be Sister Lucia speaking in the first person. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw in, in an immense light that is God, and then there's quote marks, something similar to how people uh, appear in a mirror when they pass in front of it, end quote. Mm -hmm. A bishop dressed in white, and then the quote starts again. We had the impression that it was the Holy Father, end quote. But it's all, it's supposed to be her writing in the first person the whole time. So why are there quote marks? That doesn't it's make so confusing. a whole lot of sense. And it's a strange thing because what other bishop would be in white? But then later on in the same um, portion of the text, she says, she just refers to him as the Holy the Father. Holy Father. So I think, I mean, as far as Dreer's comment about uh, Benedict XVI possibly being the Pope of the Third Secret. Interestingly, Benedict XVI himself disagreed with that uh, yeah. proposal. On May 11, 2010, when he was en route to Fatima to celebrate the 10th anniversary um, of the release of the third part of the secret, or the, as much as they've revealed thus far, the vision, yeah. uh, he said in his answer about a question about the third secret, he said, I would say that here too, beyond this great vision of the suffering of the Pope, the vision of the Pope, the Bishop dressed in white, walking through the half ruined city, etc. And he said, which we can in the first place refer to Pope John Paul II, an indication is given of realities involving the future of the church. So Benedict himself clearly thought that in the first place, as he said, the Pope of the vision was John Paul II. So that's interesting that um, Benedict himself disagreed with that. The, and re regarding that, his answer of his on May 11, 2010, interestingly, in September of 2018, uh, Rod Dreher actually gave a, had a, a speech in Rome organized by Archbishop, uh, or at least he was there at the speech, Archbishop Georg Ganswein, the, the prefect of the papal household, personal, longtime personal secretary to Benedict XVI. And Ganswein, publicly mentioned Benedict's response to journalists that I just quoted from uh, and connected it to then Cardinal Ratzinger's 2005 lamentation about, quote, filth in the priesthood that he talked about uh, right before John Paul II died. So, yeah. 
Yeah, you know, you know, the thing about Benedict is so um Joe uh Boca, who who's on with Kennedy a lot, him and I went back and forth a little bit this morning about Benedict and uh the post job was to make sure that all right, so Joe and I w- went back and forth a little bit this morning. So I I actually I hadn't heard that Samorum Pontificum was uh was put out to draw people away from Lefebvre. I had never heard that. Yeah, before. I think Joe, that's I would say that that's fake news personally. I don't think Right. That was... So I don't think I don't think that that's uh known, but I I what I really would like people to think about is what does the landscape of the church look like without that short seven-year reign of, of Benedict, where he does give us some more right? right. It, I, and I always thought, especially once Francis came in, that there was some kind of providence of God that came into play where the, the Latin mass was given to the average person. who I, Because you have to understand, like, um, you guys are society guys, right? So I, or I don't know, Matt, I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure you are. But. I'm actually, I mostly attend diocesan traditional masses. I have attended the SSPX uh, on a few occasions, but mostly diocesan. Yeah. Same with me. I will go, to, I do go to the, uh, to a chapel. I would say like once a month, probably, but I'm in, the... I'm in schism though. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a quarter schismatic. Don't worry about it. So, but the, the point is that, um, before Samorum, I had never even heard of the traditional mass, right? So I'm trying to envision what the landscape under Francis looks like. If let's say Francis was, let's say Bergoglio was elected right after JP2 because he was the runner-up. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking about there is no traditional movement in the sense we see it today. You just have, I think, the society and a, a very small contingent in um you know, the FSSP, because they were way smaller than the, than the SSPX. But I think once Samorum comes in, it opens it up to a lot. Like my, I attend a, a diocesan traditional mass most of the time. And then I do go to the, the chapel with Joe occasionally. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking so many fewer people will even have access to the traditional mass because I, I think people on the Francis you know, ran to the traditional mass as a way to try to form some kind of a, you know, a lifeboat around what's going on right now. Right. So my, yeah. Uh, Chris Ferrara in his uh, book, the great facade, the second edition, which is expanded with new chapters. It was originally published in the either late nineties, early two thousands. I forget which, but he has a chapter devoted to what you're talking about, Anthony, and he calls it the Benedictine respite, which I think is a very appropriate title for the for that time period and the respite has been over for a while now and it's it's yeah. things are going to ramp up even more i think now that he's gone yeah what do you think kennedy you think like what do you think the traditional movement looks like without that seven year short period i mean that's a short pontificate seven years i have no idea but um so i believe well, the Sumorum was largely the work of negotiating between the society and uh, Rome. And actually, if I could say something very um, positive about Pope Benedict, um, you know, he was a trained as a German philosopher. I, I think deep down he was a Hegelian because I think that's how he was trained, which is, I think, what explains the hermeneutic of continuity, which is impossible but it's like, you know, the idea of having thesis, antithesis, and synthesis or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't combine the Novus Ordo. You can't have mutual enrichment. There's nothing enriching about the new mass because it's the worst. Um, uh, but coming from the premises, from coming from the, 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 the idea that there is this ability to sort of bring something out of the combining of certain contradictions, which would be the German philosophical background that that would be uh, Ratzinger would have been steeped in. I understand why he thought that. And I believe that he did love the SSPX. I do. Uh, There's a book that people should read called Archbishop Lefebvre in the Vatican. And it is essentially just a collection of the correspondence between Lefebvre and mostly Ratzinger, because he was head of the CDF at the time, but also some other individuals, um, a couple from John Paul II, but he didn't really do much with it. Um, and Ratzinger, you know, you get the feeling he was on Lefebvre's side, even if it was not completely from a doctrinal and liturgical perspective, it was from him because he was a bit of Hegelian saying, well, 
this is a way of being Catholic. There must be a way to synthesize this way of being Catholic into the church because it's not as if it's this exclusive one way or the other because that's not the way he thought it seems to me. Um, so I, you know, I think that if, if I could just opine, I almost believe that, um, I don't think that what John Paul II declared would have ever have happened if Pope, if, if Ratzinger had been Pope at the time. I just don't think he had the heart for it. I think he was more tender, to be honest. Um, yeah, even though John Paul II kind of gets this, you know, persona of he's this merciful and tender, the Polish guy, you know, he's always kissing pictures of Mary and stuff. <laughs> he was also, he was also very hardcore. I mean, he was a severe man from a communist regime. Um, mm -hmm. And he had and his temperament, thing. temperament wise, he was just more of a passionate, like maybe had stronger reactions. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, whereas Benedict seemed, you know, he almost wanted to be more welcoming, if that makes sense, you know, and um Anyway, so I think Benedict helped. I do. Um, but it, it, I think we're going to look back and say it was a respite that de delayed the inevitable. Because again, you can't, you can't have the new mass paradigm coexisting with the old, the old paradigm because one right, is Catholic Kennedy, and one isn't. You have to think how many more people were even because I agree with that, right? Like, I don't think you could have the two coexist. Like, I think one is going to win out. And I think if you didn't have that respite, I may never have found it. No, I'm, it's That's, good. I'm, it is good. I'm just yeah. saying, I, I don't know. You're saying what it would look like. I don't know what it would look like. I'm just saying, I yeah. think this is what it was always going to look like. But I'm very glad that it happened. That we had that short, yes. short period. Because it really was supposed to be Bergoglio right after JP2. And, that was close, yeah. And I think that I, I just see the hand of God in it. Now, look, Benedict was not this... I mean, it's so weird how, how the left portrays him like he was this Rottweiler. And it's like, he really was a puppy dog. Like he was, right. he was, he never had this, like he, I feel like he never wanted to go against the green. He really did just want to be off writing books. And he was put in this position. I just don't think, like Matt just said, temperament wise, I don't think he ever had the temperament to be the guy to bring tradition, but he was never going to be that Pope, but he threw us a few bones that I really do think laid the groundwork for whatever kind of, um, I, I, it's hard to say like how much different the traditional movement would look, but I really do think that I owe my, mm -hmm. uh, introduction to the traditional mass to Benedict. I really do because I was so caught up in the lighthouse Catholic media realm at the time. I probably would have bought into the SSPX schismatic <laughs> thing. Like I really would have <laughs> Kennedy. I'm saying that because, because like you kind of just, you know, the guys you listen to are the guys who kind of influence you. And it, it took listening to guys like you and it took like, it really, it took opening my mind and saying, okay, wait, maybe the things I've learned aren't true. And, and you have to do a little bit of research, but I don't know if I'd have been open to that without that short seven year period under Benedict where. Yeah. When ahead. you, when you go to the, when you, when you attend the traditional mass, you become recalibrated. You become, oh, a yeah. you become a different type of Catholic. You start to see the faith differently because you see the faith as the actual faith that it is. Um, it dissipates what Sister Lucia called the diabolical disorientation. It reorients you to does. authentic Catholicism. It does. Well, what I, what I've told, what I've explained it is like this. So, like I'm listening to, I'm reading Scott Hahn, right, where he's describing uh, the Lamb Supper, mm -hmm. and I'm saying, okay, like I, I, I get that this is, and it it was always a hard thing for me to pay attention during Mass at a Novus Ordo, right? And it, and I never understood the saint's devotion to the mass until I yeah. attended a traditional mass. And then when I attended a traditional mass, I said, oh, now I get it. Now I understand how the saints could have this devotion to the mass where they would, you know, weep at the consecration and hearing about, like, I mean, I always thought Padre Pio was saying a Novus Ordo yeah. mass. Like, I didn't know there was a, I had no idea that gap was there until i was introduced to it it would really i think it is a great i was just going to say a great example of the power of the traditional mass with outstanding testimony from uh what was it august of this past yeah, year you're right, you're right. shia labeouf yeah mm -hmm. yep yeah that's amazing. yeah we, we 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 went deep on that one because i mean 
it, you really do see the transformative power of the traditional mask. Like, I mean, you're talking my whole family, right? Like my wife, the first couple, she was so resistant. Now, if she goes to a Novus Ordo, she's like, what did I just, I can't even sit through this. It's so alien to her. And I think women have a little bit of a harder time adjusting to it. But then when, once they do, they fall in love with it just as deeply as the men do. And they become just as passionate about it as the men do. Um, so let's get into Matt's, uh, uh, so Matt sent us some stories. Matt, why don't you, why don't you start us off? Cause you're the one that did this research. Let's go through it. Let's oh. start in January, 2022. <laughs> okay. Well, I just kind of scrolled through the, the timeline on the CFN website and, and our weekly news roundup, stuff like that. But uh, January, I mean, and our website has nowhere near the, the quantity of content as LifeSite news. So I'm sure Kennedy might have something that he recalls from January of last year, but it seemed like January of last year was kind of a slow month. As I recall, one thing that came to mind, which is more humorous and it's not like it's a huge story, but it was funny to watch it unfold in real time was when the USCCB Twitter account got super ratioed when they issued their corporate speak synodal journey tweet Mm. on January 10th of last year, where they, it says, if I knew how to share my screen, I would. I'm sorry. I'm a little Wait, Rob, I actually just, Rob, I just emailed you um, Matt's list. So if you want to pull it up, maybe you could share your screen on it. So Matt actually put links in everything because um, Rob's good at sharing screens and stuff. I'm so here, I'll, I can read what the tweet says. And if he's able to pull it up while we're talking, that's great. But uh, so on January 10th, 2022, the USCCB uh, uh, Twitter account tweeted here are seven attitudes we can all adopt as we continue our synodal journey together. Oh, I which, remember this. <laughs> which one inspires you the most? Let us know in the comments below. And let me tell you, people let them know. <laughs> people let them know. Can you so click here, on it, Rob? Can you make it bigger? Here are the seven attitudes. Uh, and so many people memed this and all kinds of stuff. But here's what it said. Innovative outlook. Inclusivity open-mindedness, listening, accompaniment, co-responsibility, dialogue. <laughs> All of these things are such new speak, right? Like it's there, just the image. Yep. It's this, it's this, it's it, like, if you think back to, there was actually like when you, some of the funniest shows were those early TNT shows when Tim Gordon and Tim and Taylor Marshall were, and they would talk about like dialogue and it's like all these new words that are ever since the council, these words that just make you cringe and they just have nothing to do with the Catholic faith. Exactly. This is a, this is one of my favorite responses. What is it? <laughs> I can't read it. What does it say? Being being myself neither a kindergartner nor in human resources, none of these free flip flo- uh, floating buzzwords absent context do I find particularly inspiring. Perhaps words like <laughs> holiness, fidelity, perseverance, etc. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's unbelievable. There's like there's nothing Catholic about and this. And hundreds, this new... I mean literally hundreds of people responded with the same kind of stuff like how about starting with repentance? Why did you even post this on Twitter? Um, I I posted in response the Sesame Street graphic that uh, Joey Oliva Olivo made when Taylor Marshall and I discussed the synod on synodality, and it looks like they're Crayola illustrations. So he put <laughs> Joey put some uh, Sesame Street characters. They always it's <laughs> like they're always using Microsoft <laughs> Office clip art or something, right? <laughs> It's so I mean, wild how it, out if of they wanted to go they with if they wanted to go with seven. Why not? You know, the seven capital virtues. <laughs> exactly, or the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost. Gifts Somebody brought that up. Like yeah. something Catholic. Like just do something Catholic, guys. Yep. That'd yep. be great <laughs> if you could just do Catholic things as bishops. That's fun. I mean, that that was almost as bad as when they tweeted like, "How many times are, will you see Baby Yoda during?" The, I, I was the just going to bring that up. <laughs> the Baby Yoda thing just shows how out of touch. Listen, these are all. all I mean, it's. It's so funny, like, every once in a while, like, uh, Supich will tweet something out about, like, St. Kateri, pray for us and for our students. And I always want to respond, like, yes, pray for us to protect us from these wicked cardinals who are trying to transform the faith into some weird, I don't even know what they're trying to pull off here. It's so wild. 
I mean, um, all right. So February 20, actually. So, uh, Kennedy, real quick. When does the Freedom Convoy start? End of January. I think it was, I think the 28th or 29th, they got to Ottawa. Mm-hmm. They were there and you were there years. on the ground, right? I did. I was not there on the ground. I went to there. There was a few, um, uh, I don't call it dispatch launching points. So because they were coming from different pods of trucks from all over the country. So I went to London, Ontario, which is where I grew up and I reported from there and there was, you know, a bunch of trucks and, and, uh, there was actually way more vehicles that weren't trucks. Like the actual trucks that were there, the 18 wheelers was like, a, you mm-hmm. know, thousand two thousand or something like that which is a ton of trucks um to be in one place at a time but there were tens of thousands of people that came with other vehicles so these convoys were so long with just people with cars vans pickups whatever and what wasn't the catalyst something about not being able to to travel in between the provinces or something (sighs) that was a potential so yeah i mean man it was really dark in canada with the vaccine stuff that was really depressing actually i remember thinking our life was just going to be like that forever it was weird and then the freedom convoy out of nowhere was like uh like we were, everyone was weeping like everyone people were just weeping with like they couldn't believe it you know it was like it was like a miracle you know um and um anyway um there was a mandate to cross the borders as first. they had they were, you know, quote unquote, essential workers the whole time. And almost two years mm-hmm. into the whole thing, they were then going to be told they can't cross the border to work. Now, Biden. Had, oh, had that's right. Own. That's why the truckers were involved, because they didn't they were why. trying to force him to get vaxxed. Right. For it to go across. Now, most yeah. of them were. But th- that wasn't the point. The point was, is that like, why are you giving us a mandate at all? Like we, we, you know, there are some of us who aren't and we're all in this together. And we did this whole, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone else was like, I, I, I know I have friends who are truckers and. You know, like for like two months, they're on the road and like they can't go to the bathroom anywhere. So they're just like going to the bathroom it's, it's, outside, the, the, the but they're bringing their essential about, goods, you know? The, the yeah. weirdest thing about a trucker band, Nate, is you're in a truck by yourself right. 99% <laughs> of the time. I mean, yeah. uh, you're an over-the-road trucker. You're in a truck alone. Maybe you bring your wife with you. Okay? I mean, a lot of these guys will bring their wives with them for a long journey. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you're in a truck alone. There's no it, It's like... What mm-hmm. is the logic? But there was no logic behind any of it. That's what's crazy. They, logic went out the door. So, I mean, the thing is, so many of us forget how insane those two years were. Between- I still remember. You guys remember the video of the late? I think it was either an elderly woman or gentleman on a walker getting trampled by the horses. You remember that? Oh yeah, yeah, so, I saw that video. Yeah, eventually, I mean, people people said it was a failure because they didn't drop all the mandates and stuff. Listen. It's political civil action. You never get everything you want. Um, yeah. You don't. I mean, none of them, at Malcolm X, Martin Luther, none of them got everything they wanted, but you get something, right? And what they got was all of the sudden, you know, uh, this is what was so crazy. It was so emotional. Leading up to the end of January and in February, there was no end in sight. There was no end in sight for the mandates. Uh, all the cases, they were all vaccinated, but whatever. All the, you know, all the stupid numbers were high and oh, we're never going to be out of this and blah, 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 blah. Booster mandates, booster mandates, everyone's going to have to get boosted out the gills, otherwise you're not going to be able to go to the grocery store. All these crazy p- predictions. And um, and then within seven or eight days of the convoy not leaving Ottawa, all of a sudden, oh, prim- the premier of, you know, premier of so-and-so province has decided to drop theirs. You know, the western provinces, Saskatchewan, Alberta, just dropped them. They were just like, we're done. You know, it was like, and they even came out and they said, yeah, it's over, we're done, people have done their part. And they said it was because of the convoy. We get it. People don't want this anymore. Ontario, Quebec, they all said, well, you know, by the end of, you know, March, it'll be completely done. There was no end in sight before that. They got what they yeah. wanted. It was because of this thing that they got what they wanted. Um, but they did crush it using basically powers reserved for like an attack from Al Qaeda and aliens. Um, mm. And, uh, but that, but you know what? That, that was, that just showed how much of a success it was. Like you had to use martial law. To stop a bunch, because remember when it began, even on American news, I remember something from MSNBC, oh, there's a couple dozen trucks headed to Ottawa. It's like, oh, a couple dozen trucks required, you know, international policing power. It just, it was, you know, it was, it was almost like, yeah, it was hard, but it just proved how powerful it was. I just remember being so like inspired by Canada and it was such a weird thing because we usually like as Americans were always like oh Canada Canada like there was such an inspiring thing that Canadians did and they came together and and just seeing how they 
even the atmosphere around the truck. Because if you watched like the mainstream news, you thought it was this, you know, the KKK was there and Nazis were there. And it's like, yeah, but right. if you watch the right news sources, you saw that there was this loving, powerful atmosphere of people just coming together. And it was like, a lot of the people were vaccinated. They didn't care. They, they didn't just care. wanted to stand with their fellow Canadian. And it's like, what are we doing to one another? And it was a very inspiring moment. Canada really did come through. I remember you being really proud of your countrymen. I am in this place for better, or for worse. And if I'm going to be here, I'm going to kick and scream until somebody hears me. That's how it's going to go. All right. So February, 2022, um, we got papal heresy. Francis says apostates are in communion in the communion of saints. Um, yep. This is a weird one, right? I think it's probably one of the most significant stories of the year. Unfortunately, I mean, it should have prompted the College of Cardinals to to issue some kind of a formal correction uh, that we've been waiting for for how many years now? <laughs> but yeah, it was a huge. That's that's a that's objectively heretical. Uh, there's just no other way to say it. Do you remember early on in Francis's papacy when they would actually issue corrections? <laughs> like in the first like year, it was like he would say something and you would get like, the, yeah, they, uh, they'd be, they'd be you know, the press that. office would come out and they'd be like, no, 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 he didn't mean that. It was like when, when Benedict made the condoms comment, when he was, when he was the Pope, he made mm-hmm. a comment and his comment was to say like, sometimes if somebody puts on a, if somebody is, has an STD and they put on a condom, that could be the first step in them actually having a moral position. He wasn't saying condoms no, are okay. It was, it was total inside baseball that really shouldn't have been published. It was like, let's, it's like, let's, let's, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? And that's exactly what it yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. And they almost, when Francis first comes in, the, the, the press office starts handling things the way they did under Benedict or JP2. Mm-hmm. And, and Francis eventually was just like, just stop doing that. Like, right? no, he wants chaos. Right. <laughs> Make a mess. <laughs> the communion of say He's, it's Protestantism, man. Like, you know why, the, me, me and Joe, Joe, I got to give a shout out to um, Doug Wilson. I don't know if anybody knows who Doug Wilson is. He's a, a Presbyterian pastor. He's more Catholic than the Pope. Um, you know, he's he's like a C.S. Lewis, you know, uh, obviously he's wrong on certain things. And like, okay, if he wants to tell me how, you know, justification happens, it's like you're a Calvinist, okay. But like, whatever it is, his worldview is Christocentric. Um, but anyway, he's the only Protestant I listen to because mainly he talks about social issues and things like that. And, uh, but every once in a while, when, he, when he's doing his Protestant speak, you know, I'll see like a comment and it's like, you know, you know, shout out to all the saints up there and wherever you are. And it's like, that's how they talk though. You know, it's like, we are the saints. Like if you're a Christian, you're the saints, you're the body of Christ and, and or you're the communion of saints. It's a very, it's wrong. Uh, and this, when you see this with Francis, like it's just straight Protestantism. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That, like, look, so a lot of people, so even that whole thing I was having with Joe earlier, it's like, And I've never, Rob and I try to like steer away from the controversies of the church. But the thing is with Benedict, I, I, I think he believed the faith with all his heart, right? Like he believed the Catholic faith. I can't say I, I, I know that about Francis. Like I, I I just. Yeah. Because of his words and actions, I think he's given us ample reason to doubt that. Um, the other significant thing about his his objectively heretical statement was that it was made on February 2nd, the feast of, of the purification of Our Lady, presentation of Our Lord. But it's, there's also a connection to the uh, prophecies and apparitions of Our Lady of Good Success. There's a great book published by uh, Tradition in Action, Marian Therese Horvat, uh, Our Lady of Good Success. Again, the apostolate is Tradition in Action. Sorry, I'm angling that correctly. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, there's a lot of connections between those messages and the message of Our Lady of Fatima. They have an excellent comparison of those on their website. If you just Google Our Lady of Good Success and Our Lady of Fatima, prophecies for our times, mm-hmm. that should come up. But, um, you know, Our Lady talked about God punishing specifically heresy and blasphemy in the in the 20th century and, and now into the 21st century. But, yeah, very, very serious and just a very fundamental basic error of ecclesiology. Like it's not possible for someone who formally renounces faith in Christ, which is what apostasy is Mm -hmm. to remain a member of the church or to be a partaker in the communion of saints. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Baltimore catechism 
makes that very clear. I have my copy right here. Here's what it says for uh, uh, when does a baptized person separate himself from full incorporation in the mystical body by apostasy? Mm-hmm. And it says uh, when he openly rejects the entire Christian faith. That's what an apostate is. Yeah. So it's not possible to remain in the church. Um, Pius XII says the same in Mystici Corporis Christi. It's also in the Roman Catechism and elsewhere. This is just basic fundamental catholic doctrine my, my younger brother sent me a video the uh yesterday and it had reza aslan um i don't know if anybody knows who that is <laughs> that so reza aslan's on with a couple other guys and he's explaining um how he, he you know he was raised a, a muslim but it was like a nominal muslim and then he becomes an evangelical and then he goes to a jesuit university and hmm. the jesuit university starts to tell him about the difference between jesus the God, Jesus as God and Jesus, the man and Jesus, the man is this social justice warrior. And he's talking (laughs) about, he's not talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the first will be last and the last will be first. And he's talking about a political revolution and he's becoming a revolution. And the Jesuits screw Reza Aslan up so much. He goes back to Islam and he starts seeing Jesus as a political figure instead of seeing him as the Christ. And it just shows you how the Jesuits, how malformed they are in the current iteration of the jesuits it's it's like that they're they went from being this order that that stops the protestant you know revolt in its tracks they are the order that i mean they convert south america they are they're amazing and they go from that to being this hotbed of just i mean corruption of the best is the worst yeah, mm-hmm. they're the best historically. They're the absolute best, you know, um, which is why it's so sad. And, you know, um, back to the Society of St. Pius X, because I haven't talked about it in five minutes, so I'm getting itchy. So I got to talk about it. <laughs> um, um, their, their spirituality. Well, actually, it's funny. They say they don't have an actual spirituality, except for, as you said, Anthony, their, their spirituality is the mass. That's it. Like, it's like, they don't, they're not Salesians or whatever. They're just, their spirituality is the mass. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. what they're all called to meditate on. But their spiritual formation for prayer life and so forth is completely Jesuit, um, is Ignatian. Ignatian. Uh, mm-hmm. They do the spiritual exercises. Um, actually, I have this book right here. Um, I'm a member of the third order. I'm probably a terrible member, um, but uh, I am a professed member. Anyway, with, with this Christian warfare book and in here, you know, is a breakdown of the, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. And that's what every third order member and every priest is supposed to do and, and all that sort of thing and all the brothers and sisters and stuff. And, um, but it's interesting, you know, um, it's almost like uh, the society is is holding the Ignatian flame while the Jesuits have completely abandoned it. And you see when you have an order that their spiritual, their basic spiritual formation is Ignatian, that they remain Orthodox. Um, So at some point the Jesuits must have abandoned the actual Ignatian exercises or they must have changed them because there's no way that you can do that. There's no way you can continue to do that spirituality and become a heretic. It's just too, it's too profound. It's too. And there was a point where they stopped praying the, uh, the, the divine office also. I guess so. Maybe yeah, that wouldn't surprise. Yeah. Me. There's actually like, uh, I, I think there was, so after they were disbanded, there was actually like, they, they stopped oh. praying the, the divine office. And then, mm. so, I mean, for, for, for them to even stop participating in the prayers of the church, I think that would had probably had a major effect on a whole bunch of things, you know, but mm-hmm. so I, I, listen, I could stay on with you guys for three hours tonight, but I know you guys probably got to get off. So let's, let's try to breeze through these because yeah. the, the, the Russia Ukraine war starts in, tw- in February and then the consecration of Russia and Ukraine mm-hmm. in March happens. This is yep. such a controversial thing. It's like, I mean, it's the most, it's the most accurate consecration to date. But it's from Francis, so it's this weird <laughs> thing that everybody's like. It's like, I mean, it's just it's a it's a rough one, right? Like, I mean, the thing with the consecration is, uh, people expect a lot of the people who are against it are like, well, there should have been immediate things, and the people who are for it, are like, to me, if there, if let's say it was 
uh, a valid consecration, I don't think you would see the effects immediately. I think things will get exceedingly worse before they get better because that's how God kind of works. He lets things fall apart before he fixes things. So it's possible like, you know, and, and, and I don't need to die on the hill of the consecration. I have said, I think that it was valid, but let me give some context for that. The reason I say that is, as was talking to Bishop Schneider, um, and you know, he's a sacrament has an immediate effect. A sacramental does not. Um, and, um, a sacrament obviously has a, a, a direct form and matter and intention that has to happen. Otherwise it's invalid. Whereas a sacramental, which is a consecration is a sacramental essentially. Um, it's mainly intention. Obviously there has to be an intention to do what is said, but <sighs> there is definitely a guideline, um, from the writings of sister Lucy, but there's a lot of mystery. I mean, in union with the bishops, does it mean every single one? Does it mean the Pope acting as the head of the bishops, which is de, which is a you know is a de facto thing done by the Pope in union with the bishops because he is the bishop of the head the, head, the, the Pope of the Church? There is some gray area. Um, so if it's valid, which I think it could be, um, the effects will be those of a consecration. Um, we consecrate ourselves and our families, for example, to the Sacred Heart or the Immaculate Heart or whatever, and. And, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, for example, we, we consecrated our family to the sacred heart. We enthroned the sacred heart in our home. Right. And I only have some, my children, only small, my, my, my five kids, my oldest is seven. Let's say, God forbid, my oldest son goes off the rail and gets a drug habit when he's 20 or something like that. And I keep praying for him. We pull on that consecration to the sacred heart and somehow through the weeds, you know, he gets cancer. This is so, this is so sad to think about. I'm just saying some crazy thing. Yeah, and then, you know, he, dies, yeah. he dies with the sacraments and I'd have to go, but there's no natural way that this guy, you know, this young man should have gone to heaven, you know? Um, and I would have to say it was our faith from our consecrating of our family. I would, I, that'd, be my, that'd be my explanation. So is it valid? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we don't, none of us be, know. Right. So we just, we kind of leave that in God's hands and we, and we have to wait and see on that one. So, That's all you can um, but, but, June, you get the Dobbs decision, right? I mean, there are some things to say that maybe some good, some good came from it. Just like after the first consecration that JP two made, you saw the fall of communism in Russia. Not that communism disappeared totally, but maybe there were some effects from it. So, um, Matt, now, wasn't there an effect? Sorry, Matt, wasn't there an effect in with World War Two? What the consecration of the world? Didn't we see a, a certain decisive battle after that? I remember that from the Fatima Center timeline thing. I think there was an effect. Yes, so uh, Pius XII consecrated the world on October 31st, 1942, and shortly after that, I forget the battle, but um, it was shortly after that consecration that the Allies had a very decisive battle. I think it was somewhere in North Africa, and that's really when the tide started to turn in favor of the Allies. I don't recall. I don't think it was Stalingrad. Was was it the second battle of El Alamein? I don't remember. I don't have any idea the name of the act of the particular Bob's battle. I, I'm pretty sure it was somewhere. <laughs> I think it may have been somewhere in North Africa, but that's, I, I'm very vaguely remembering that. But I think even Winston Churchill years later, I'd have to look up the reference, but I'm pretty sure even he recognized uh, the, that victory and the turning of the tide of the war as he um, attributed it to that consecration. Really? I, yeah, I, the, I would have to look. I'm pretty battle, sure I've read that before. The second battle of El Alamein uh, started on October 23rd of 42. Okay. That was in North Africa. Okay. I think the yeah, main thing to remember with the, with the Fatima consecration is Our Lady gave very, she she specified very specific fruit that would result from the consecration. I'm just going to read her words. I think I have them. Hold up here. So, I mean, I've, we all know them. In the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, and it shall be converted, and a period of peace will be granted to the world. So the two fruits are the conversion of Russia, which means a return to, to Catholic, Catholic unity, um, mm-hmm. not just a generic fall of the soviet union or all of that kind of stuff it means not an e michael jones conversion where they yeah exactly it means they convert a 
a return to Catholic unity, and then a subsequent period of peace. And those, the period of peace is also important because it really lines up with other uh, prophecies and private revelations. I think some of which uh, Taylor Marshall mentions in his book that there is, it's based on Holhauser and his different epochs of church history. And it aligns with what he calls like a period of peace before the coming of the antichrist like a catholic restoration a catholic renaissance period yeah i would say i would say the catholic church has to unite before we can unite with the east right like they're we're so divided ourselves right well, now. i think actually i would say that actually the miraculous conversion of russia is going to be the catalyst for the church in the west getting her act together that's my yeah. personal opinion so Let's. We're not going to get through all these things for the year. No, let's no. Just, but let's I'm just jump right to predictions because what yeah, Matt has gonna... said here, what Matt here has said is bang on, and it reminds me of what I think is going to happen this year. And because I pretend to be smart on the internet, I want to tell everybody what I think. Hmm. Um, I, th- I, the one major error of Russia that no one ever talks about is the error of schism. Um, and, and I can say that about Russia, even if I was a Russian orthobro respecter, um, which from a cultural perspective, I am because they're kind of based. Um, but uh, even if I believed that the Russian Orthodox, or even if I believed the East was correct and the East-West schism thing, let's just say I believe that. It is the case that within the Eastern communion of churches, there has been continual schisms um, mm-hmm. for the last long time. And they've acknowledged this. I mean, you got the Sunday of Orthodox right, right before Easter and they're like, <laughs> it's kind of a. Ama- this is why I think they're kind of amazing in a way from the perspective of just having some cojones. They're like <laughs> professing that those guys suck and these guys are on our team, you know, and they just profess this. <laughs> uh, you know, it's 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 it's. Sad, you remember the footage of that? I forget which branch of orthodoxy, but when Pope Francis visited an Eastern Orthodox country, there was this old elderly priest with the long white beard, like yelling at him in the Holy street. They're a heretic. Heretic, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that should have been the number one on the list. <laughs> that was a great moment. I don't know if that was 2022, but I do remember. I think it was, uh, yeah. I think it was in Cyprus. Lockdown. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was a great moment. Um, but yeah, so <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, but there is a schism in there's there's this spirit of schism in the East. Um, you know, uh, 2018, I think the Russians and the and the Ukrainians had their own internal schism. You know, things like that. Um, there's problems. There's some problems over there. I think. You know, I maybe I'm over spiritualizing or whatever, but. Um. You know, people talk about Pope Benedict being the restrainer, the catacomb. I don't know if that's the case, but I do think from a one perspective, he definitely is like a relic of the past in the sense that he was the last sort of living or at least living and influential uh, pre-conciliar cleric. Mm-hmm. You know, he was from an age that was very different. He had a Catholicity, even if it was altered by the modernist spirit of our time, he at least was formed with a Catholicity that was older. And, I think um, Francis isn't Francis the first pope we've had that was not ordained in the ordained, traditional right. right yeah. yeah, I don't know if he ever said the new mass. I don't know, or the old mass. Um, in any case, um, you know, Matt Frad had this post right after the death of Benedict that I roasted him for on a video, <laughs> um, going after Benedict, <laughs> yeah, going after Benedict respecters, and like, what are you guys doing? You know, and then you know, Pat Coffin, I tried to throw him a bone, and. Uh, he calls the SSPX schism land. Anyway, I just, I foresee, you know, there's just, it's like Bennett, it's like the dad is gone. The grandfather is gone. So now all the petulant little adolescents are going to, you know, yell at each other and I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I personally think that we're in for schisms in the West, um, officially. Like I think de facto, mm-hmm. uh, there already are, but I think we will see legitimate schisms. And the event that's going to usher that in is the synod on synodality. Yeah, that's a very that's a very big uh, possibility. And also, I mean, I don't know how you avoid. Like, I don't know how a bishop like Strickland avoids it in the sense that, like, I don't. I, there's going to be a gun to your head and say, you know, take this Pachamama or else, and he's going to have to say, I can't. And then it's or like take well, women deacons, whatever. Or take, it is. I mean, whatever it is, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so it, I, what it's going to be is the LGBT stuff that it's the German yes. synodal way is essentially the same as the synod on synodality. And they're going to push hard to uh, make the bishops accept that as no, as good and normal and stuff. It's it's going to be bad. Yeah. 
So I think there's going to be a schism this year. I'm calling it. In 2023, I think we're going to see an actual schism in the West. That's the news um, of Russia. Matt, what do, you, what do you think it may happen in 2023? I would agree with Kennedy. that, And I, as I just said, I think the catalyst for it is going to be the synod on synodality, the actual meeting of the of the bishops in Rome in October of this year. And they're scheduled to meet again in October of 2024. Who knows? You know, we don't know how long Pope Francis will be around. He could be around another five years or more, or he could be gone end of this year. Who knows? I mean, we don't know. Do do um, either of you see Francis now that Benedict is gone? Do either of you see Francis retiring? And here's why I think there's a possibility. I think Francis wants to see if his plan gets implemented, (laughs) right? Like this is a guy who wants to make sure that he's got some influence over after his pontificate is over. I don't know if he wants to stay into there. Do you think 2023 will be the year he steps down? Do you think he sticks through? I I think Francis is a Peronist, as mm-hmm. I think that's his political philosophy. Um, Peronists are all about consolidating power by playing both sides of the coin. I think uh, he, he he tipped his hat. He's tipped his hat to the right. Let's say so. To, let's call it the right by being nice to the side of Saint Pius the Tenth. But he's basically ghettoizing traditionalists now to make them more of a problem over in the corner than a problem sort of in your face. Um, at the same time, I think Francis is there because people want him there. I mean, no one becomes, no one becomes Pope in, even if they're a good Pope, no one becomes Pope. It's politics. You know, this, this modern idea that, you know, the Holy Spirit picks the, uh, the picks the Pope. It's like, why do they vote? That sounds weird. (laughs) Um, um, so, uh, you know, even the good Popes, it's like, usually Popes, if you look back at conclaves as much as we can know, even the good ones, like, you know, a group of Orthodox faithful cardinals will say, we need to rally behind so-and-so because he's going to do what we need and he'll get the votes. And they just care about the church rather than themselves. In an opposite sense, Marxists are kind of like that. They're almost altruistic. It's weird. Um, you know, we need so-and-so to accomplish our goals. He's the best. So maybe they might say, Francis, you did what we need. Now we need somebody else. Who knows? What do you think, Matt? I don't know. My gut instinct is that I, I think it would, I don't think that he'll end up resigning personally. I mean, maybe he'll prove me wrong, but I, th- I th- he strikes me as one who would have a very hard time relinquishing his power. That's true. I mean, the only reason he would, I think, like you were saying, Anthony, is, is so that he could be like the godfather behind the scenes pull, trying to pull the strings. And I mean, and you saw how much influence Benedict had, and he kept his mouth shut, right? <laughs> like, I don't think Francis will keep his mouth shut. I think he'll be behind yeah. the scenes he, making sure. He did sure. write a book. I sincerely hope for the sake of the dignity and integrity of the papal office that we do not have another Pope Emeritus. I think that that will be the black mark on Benedict's legacy uh, was was that decision to resign. And not only the decision to resign, but also to retain the papal white, the papal name. It caused incalculable confusion among the faithful and so much damage so much damage i'm going to say for for this next year i think kennedy had already mentioned it but there's going to be a big clamp down on tradition now that benedict Mm -hmm. because believe it or not benedict's presence held some of that back now i think there's going to become a very big clamp down on tradition now what i would like to say to the traditionalists out there and those who attend the traditional mass our instinct is to complain and to cry and to whine and constantly focus on what's going on in Rome. And what I want to really encourage people to do is to rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, if it wasn't for Francis, I don't think I'd have found the traditional mass, but it is very important to, (laughs) I think Anthony's time to become host emeritus. (laughs) The host emeritus. (laughs) (laughs) We have the greatest audience. Um, He would be way worse behind the scenes. Oh, you guys have no idea. I'd be meddling in everything. But we have to look. I'm the I'm the worst one when it comes to this stuff. But we have to rejoice in our sufferings. It's the hardest thing to do, but it's literally an opportunity for us to get to heaven. It's like if we can 
not complain. I mean, listen, my wife's got COVID right now. The woman doesn't stop complaining. All she does is complain. She complains, 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 complains. Stop complaining. <laughs> <laughs> We're not responsible for your marriage problem. <laughs> I have that one ready to go at all times. <laughs> women complain men don't complain men have to suck it up and we have to sit there and we have to be we have to be soldiers throughout this whole thing so i know our it's look it's easy to get on and just you know there's a lot of things to complain about right now but we got to learn to rejoice and i think suffering. you're absolutely you're definitely right about a clampdown on tradition and and the hint that we were given in 2022 was in uh the pope's apostolic letter desiderio desideravi Specifically, paragraph 31, which reads as follows. And by this document, by the way, was basically like a an attempted defense of the entire liturgical reform, i.e. revolution since the council and defense of the new mass as being good and all that stuff. So this is what the Pope wrote in paragraph 31 of Desiderio Desideravi, quote, it would be trivial to read the tensions unfortunately present around the celebration as a simple divergence between different tastes concerning particular ritual form. The problem is primarily ecclesiological. That is a huge admission on his part. Yeah. That the, in other words, the tensions which exist between Catholics who embrace the liturgical reform and those who resist it are not based on what he calls different tastes, but on divergent ecclesiologies. What that means is on fundamentally different doctrinal positions about the church's very nature. And what they're saying and what uh, Cardinal or yeah, Cardinal Roach said in January of last year, uh, Cardinal Supich repeated it in March of 2022, is that the traditional mass is incompatible with Vatican II's new ecclesiology. That's what they're saying. That's why they, which is why they are pushing to get rid of the traditional mass because they recognize that it doesn't uh, jive with the new ecclesiology of the council. Yeah, I mean, if you guys really want to want to know what's going on, listen to Massimo Fajoli. I mean, he's telling you the truth, right? When he says, "Like the yeah, the the old mass does not work with the new ecclesiology," you can't. Then that's why even what Kennedy was saying earlier that. The two forms can't coexist. Like one has to win out. And now we're, we're stepping into the end game to see where that's going to go. And my, my other prediction for uh, 2023, I think that somehow uh, ramping up the push to get rid of the traditional mass, the synod on synodality is going to play some sort of a role in that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I can, I, I, I cannot thank both of you enough I yes, think that you, you guys got to do I something without Anthony. What'd you say, Kennedy? So you can thank me enough. I give my address. Send me a check. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I think you guys got to do something without me interfering and jumping in. You guys are my like my two go-to news guys. I, I'm so beyond grateful that you both came on. Kennedy, I'm going to send you my next uh, pasta and sauce pick to show you Nona. <laughs> That's good. Show you Nona what sauce really looks like. <laughs> Matt, you, you, you've been my friend for the longest, man. Thank you so much. I, like you guys are awesome. Oh, you're welcome. And, uh, and uh, I hope everybody shares this Kennedy, since you did the story this morning on your channel, I'm going to ask you to put this on your community page and I'm going to pressure you <laughs> until you actually put it on your community page. Anybody that <laughs> is checking this out for the first time, please like subscribe. We uh, Rob and I get on a little bit of a roll here, so we're trying to get this channel to pick up. Uh, you guys are awesome. You guys have anything to promote? I think if people just Kennedy's- want to visit, uh, go ahead. No, no, Kennedy has the men's conference coming up February 18th. Oh, yeah, yeah February 18th, men's conference. Um, it's uh, if you go to any of my recent videos, the link is in the description. And, and I'm actually uh, hoping to get up there if Joe Boca tells me he's going to go. I will take the ride up and I'll shoot up to Canada and I'll yeah. I'll come and meet up with it's you guys. It's going to be a one day. It's traditional. It's a tra- there's it's the only traditional like as far as I can tell, I think it's the only traditional Catholic men's conferences in North America. Like it's like mm. a traditional Catholic men's conference. There's some men's conferences, but it's mm-hmm. it's uh only trad. Uh not you don't have to be a society guy to attend. Come on, come all. Um but it's society priests who are serving it. I'll be speaking at it. a friend of mine, Al Smith, is speaking at it. Um, cigars, catering, um, 
you know, fellowship, friends, uh, Latin, rosaries, things like that, lots of giveaways, and the coldest month of the year. So it's a good time to come to Canada. <laughs> nice. Um, how about you, Matt? What do you got coming up with uh, CFN? Uh, we just put out our January uh, 23 paper. You can preview it by visiting our website, catholicfamilynews.com. And uh, one of our recent posts is Brian's message to readers, subscribers, viewers, etc. And if you hover over the new subscription tab on the homepage, uh, another tab will come up that says this month's edition. And that's where you can preview the contents of the paper. So. Yeah, guys, go, at least become an online subscriber of CFN. It's it's so cheap. I, I mean, I've been a subscriber for like two years now. It's like it's it's like a like two three bucks a month the way they work it uh, out when you do the online version for the e edition only package where it's the full monthly newspaper in uh, electronic format. It's thirty two dollars for the year for the and year. You, so it's if, yeah, and if you want the print paper delivered to your home as well as access to the e edition, it's forty two dollars a year for uh in the US. I think it's like forty seven for Canada and then it jumps up for international uh, outside of that. But uh, yeah, thirty two dollars a year for e edition only, regardless of where you live in the world. Yeah, I mean that's pr- I mean, where are you getting three dollars a month to get a subscription to something. I mean, it's it's literally less than a cup of coffee a week. I mean, come on, guys. And the nice thing about nice thing about the e edition, we have like probably a good eighteen months worth of back issues available uh, yeah. on there as well on the platform. So it's a nice nice little library there. Yeah, and check Kennedy out. He's over. He writes for One Peter Five. He writes for Crisis Mag. He also does that show with Tim Flanders every, every once in a while. So, he used to write um, for CFN. We got to get him back on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kennedy, thank you, man. I know you're a busy guy, Matt. You too. I know you guys are both really busy. I'm super, super grateful. I'm really happy that I'm friends with you guys. You guys are both awesome. So, um, Rob, we have oh tomorrow night we're doing our chosen review. Everybody else just. Like and subscribe. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Rob, take us out, brother. United the clans. Enoch. Let's go. Yo, yo. Uh. Take me back to my 